We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm your host, James DiVirgilio, alongside Alan Williams. We are presented to you by BetUS. And we have a show that we are calling Bulls Early Signing Day and a UF staff update. It will be even more than that. Alan, welcome on into the studio. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Christmas gets nearer and nearer. The holidays are looming. I mean that in a good way. Uh, good to be back here for a little strange podcast. I don't know. There's stuff happening. Some of it good, some of it bad. We'll talk all about it. Yeah, crazy week last week, which we're gonna we're gonna walk through our thread, which we reference a lot. Had some some really highlight moments, given the panic that had set in for some people, and I think a lot of you might be feeling this way now. So we'll break it down. What do we think? How do we feel about what's going on with the program? And what can we expect for the future? As always, if you like this content, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel, where last week I put out a film on Billy Napier's offense. A lot of you have been checking that out. Uh, thanks for that. And then become a patron on Patreon, where you can join the GNFP patron family by dropping us a dono. And that's great. As always, thanks to B-Red and Bama Shane for their help each and every week. We had some new patrons this past week, Alan. We had Hunter Ackerman coming with a small dono. Robert Clarkson with an annual dono, small dono. And then Jeffrey Hoy leveling up from two to five bucks a month. Thanks, Jeffrey. Long-term supporter of the show. Yeah, what's up, buddy? Friend. And a new medium dono from CJ McRae. Welcome on in. Still sitting on the throne is the big homie. If you're wondering how someone gets on the throne... You wind up giving the most in dono dollars for a month, and that earns you the right to be in the throne. And so far, big homie's still ruling. Although I've heard, I've heard rumblings, Alan, mm-hmm. throughout the GNFP patron nation that someone is going to make a run for that throne, perhaps as early as this week. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it, but for now, the big homie, the big homie, ruling, love him. Benevolently. All right, let's go, go, go through our dono legends here. Five hundred bucks a month or more in total lifetime support. Lil Payton. <laughs> I love that we get to start with him there. I, that makes me happy each week. Uh, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stosh Me, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marcellisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, 
James Truett, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummery, Craig Scarado. Okay, let's talk about last week. I opened up our football thread one day to like 140 messages or something. I don't know. I couldn't really check it. And the infamous, the famous, you you hear him referenced often, JT Raymond, was losing his mind, hopping up and down on the panic button about what was going on inside the Gator program and un, under the regime of Billy Napier. Decommits, no positive news seemingly coming at all. And I, you know, I was tempted to just write this off as JT, you know, riding the highs and lows. But apparently this was a shared sentiment by a lot of people on message boards, on social media, not everyone, certainly, but more than just some person on our thread. So I want to talk about that a little bit, Um, kind of the overall vibe early on last week. But let me me start with decommits first, right? So we had had several, uh, a few four-stars, Nick Evers, the quarterback, Jaden Gibson, Chandler Smith, Francois Knowlton, the defensive lineman. Someone, I've had a lot of people ask me, about, are you worried about all these decommits? And the answer is maybe, question mark. I think the expectation is if you fire your coach at the end of the season like that, you're going to experience some decommits. Some that you probably are like, yes, I'm kind of happy to see that person out of the class. We didn't think we're that highly rated. And other people, maybe you'd like to keep in the class. Certainly, uh, the new coaching staff wants to keep in the guys they want to keep in. So we don't know whether they wanted these guys and they left or they didn't want these guys and they left. But I I think it's very normal part of the process to experience some level of decommitment, especially in our kind of modern moment of college football. Did those decommits surprise you at all? They could surprise you depending on who was your coach. I, I think that you're going to hear me say this a lot on this podcast With Billy Napier coming in at the press conference, Alan, and saying exactly what he said, it's going to be a patient process, a slow process. Uh, I'm not going to focus on early signing day because we're basically, you know, coming into the game with three minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm all about relationships, foundation, structure, culture. And then you have a history of him doing this, which we'll unpack at Louisiana, what happened in year one for Louisiana. I think you give more leeway then you might give someone who comes into the press conference says, we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to maintain everyone. We're going to sign this stellar class by early signing day. That would be an indication of failure on delivery, right? Promising and not delivering. So I think here we have to give leeway with these decommits. So what does this mean? One, it's not a good sign if your most talented players in a class, it's already not very good decommit, but it's also not a bad sign. And what do I mean by that? If I'm the head coach and I meet with these players, Alan, they do not fit my style, my structure, my system. Most importantly, if they don't meet the competitive standards I'm going to lay out. And what that means for me, and I can only speak to myself and what I'm thinking Billy Napier is going to do because Billy Napier is going to be a mixture of Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban. So what does Nick Saban famously say, Alan? He tells us top recruits, look, If you want to come to a school like Alabama, you have to be comfortable with the fact that every single player at Alabama is you. 
they're all extremely good. You're not going to show up to practice and look around and think I am better by default than everyone else. If you don't like that, there are other programs for you. Billy Napier wants to build that kind of program. The program Florida was under Dan Mullen was very much a guaranteed playing time, seniority-based, timeshare, rotation-heavy situation. Now, we can't know what people say on the recruiting trail. No one can know. There's tons of rumors on message boards about Nick Evers isn't there anymore because Billy Napier said he was going to wind up taking two quarterbacks and Nick Evers only had to be the only quarterback. We just don't know that stuff on this podcast. We don't get into that speculation. But what I want to paint is this clear picture. If as a coach, I meet with these players and they just do not fit the competitive culture I'm going to try and build, I'm not going to take them. It doesn't really matter how talented they are. You have to build your culture very consciously from day one to make sure the program is built in the image you need it to be built in. So therefore, those decommits, you'd say, that's not a big deal. We cannot know if any of these players fit that or do not fit that. It would certainly be not good if you lose a guy, let's just say Nick Evers, that fits Napier's system because Napier thinks so and he likes him and he's solid and he just chooses he doesn't like what Napier says and he leaves, right? I think that's less likely, Alan, but we can't know. For now, given the successful process that that Napier has carried out at Louisiana, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and continue to evaluate the data as it comes in because he does have a discernible process and a plan. And it's far more likely that these particular recruits just weren't going to either fit into what he was saying or doing, and therefore he shouldn't take them. And I'm perfectly okay with that. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I think in some sense you want to keep all the guys who fit that profile. And again, I don't know what his internal measurements are, what he's exactly looking for. But I'm okay taking the class down to the studs and building back up. Because once you hand out those scholarships, I mean, guys could transfer, but they might not. I'd rather be patient and not have a class where I have a ton of attrition later. Right? So you could fill up the class, then half those guys leave. I think that's less helpful than having a smaller class where most of those guys stay. Now you still have to have some level of recruiting done, right? You you can't have like a three person class at the end of February, right? You have to have some people come in, but especially with the portal, the way it is, I, that may, that would make me want to be even more patient, right? That you can go and find some other guys who are looking to have a fresh start, maybe from an, another fired coaching staff or something like that. So, uh, yeah. And, and here's the thing. When all this was going, I think it was day three. Right now, it's been a little more time since then. But if this is going to be a longer process, then three days is not enough time to do almost anything. Right? You're not going to land a bunch of splashy recruits the moment you show up on campus. Right? Everything is ultimately going to be aimed towards 2023. Right? That you need a really, hopefully, solid class here in 2022. But Again, I would, I'd rather have a smaller class of guys that I like than a bigger class of guys that I don't like. Yeah. And so I think the decommits are one thing, right? The, for people who paid a lot of attention to the recruiting ranking, I think right now it's number 78, which is not know, tier few, one. It's not a that, tier one class, tier one, right? number 78. That is exceptionally low but I think circumstantially it's it's explainable right if you have a coach who let's say Dan Mullen's class is going to end up in the 20s I don't know maybe it would have ended up 
where it would have been, you would say, you know, there's not really good reasons for why this is the way it is, other than you're not prioritizing recruiting the way you should be. And again, this is a moment, right? So early signing day, all the recites are going to declare early signing day champion or whatever another ranking. It doesn't really matter until February rolls around, right? And now again, early signing day is super important. Now that's when most people sign, but it's not the end of it. You're not stuck there. We're not stuck at 78th. It's not like you take a snapshot and that's where it is. So obviously not good, but if you are clearing out the class, you're going to go down. That's not surprising. And then, you know, they do take a guy who was committed to Louisiana, who's very low ranked offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman. That is a spot. I think you could take a guy who's very low ranked, but again, you don't want to do that a lot. One guy is whatever, not a big deal. So these aren't necessarily good data points, right? You're not like, oh, yay, people are decommitting. We're taking low-ranked offensive linemen. But this is the very beginning. This is like the definition of not enough data to make choices. So that that's where I'm at with that. I, it didn't bother me at all. I mean, of course, everyone would love just great news all the time. But I was nowhere near the panic button. Yeah, I wasn't pressing the panic button because, again, the process he laid out is what Florida is following. Let's talk a little bit about what Louisiana did in their first year under Napier. He came in and he said, I'm not going to sign anybody for early signing day because it's sort of like dating somebody one time and then getting married to them, right? So a different analogy than the one he gave to Florida, but same concept. And at that point in time, Alan, Louisiana was ninth the year before him in recruiting. So he's coming into a scenario where they're not recruiting very well. In their conference. Yes, not in their conference, sorry. Correct, in their conference. And then he has a plan not to take anyone early signing day, but he has a January and February plan, which he laid out in Florida's press conference to close strong. Louisiana that year finished fifth overall on national signing day. Now there was, there wasn't, early signing day wasn't even what it is now. Now it's everything signing day in reality. But still, big jump and his second year at louisiana allen he finished first so what does that tell you the process he followed at louisiana worked now i'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that the process he is porting over to florida until proven otherwise can work so what is my worry about napier the worry about anybody with a systematic process oriented thinker is will their process work at this next level and that's something that not even Napier knows yet until he tries it. He thinks it does. Strickland thinks it does. I think that it will. I also think he's going to have to tweak it some. You heard us mention last week how much we liked the fact in the press conference that Napier talked about how he's improved the processes. They've learned things each and every year. So we will have to see. But if you're already thinking this is not going to work or I'm out on this guy or whatever, that's not the right frame of mind to be in here. Because again, this guy has boilerplated something that worked very well in the Sunbelt Conference, which is not the SEC. He also has coached in major conference football for almost his entire career. It's not lost on him what it takes to have at those schools recruit-wise. He knows what he's doing to get there, and we will see. So you're going to give more leash, more benefit of the doubt to a guy like Napier process systematic thinker proven track record than you would to a guy who comes in and has no proof of concept so that's where i am now like you said the data point that concerns me the most 
is signing guys that were committed to Louisiana. If there is a position group to do it on, it's probably offensive line, right? Because, hey, a lot of times, in fact, most Florida, most of Florida's commits are three-star offensive linemen. You and I have been banging the drum to see some more of these four-star guys, perhaps a five-star O-lineman come in sometimes. But a lot of Florida's commits are that way. You can pick up project guys at O-line and make it work. Do I love it? As the first commit to Florida gets, no, I don't. But they obviously thought this guy was capable of playing at the SEC, and we'll find out. We will find out in time. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt until we start to get more data points, and at least, Alan, until we actually get to National Signing Day. You have to let his process play through, and then we can look and say, okay, he said this, we got this. Does that feel about right? Are we way more concerned? Do we finish at 78th? That would be a major alarm ringing panic bell. But we're going to have to walk through some of these uncomfortable moments again with a very process oriented coach. The first process oriented coach Florida has had since Urban Meyer. And obviously Urban Meyer now has got his own issues and problems. But at the college level, the process can work really well. And so we got we to gotta wait and see. Yeah, I think if... We get to the end of the class, and he's like, yeah, he just upgraded all of his Louisiana recruits to Florida. Be like, man, he made major mistakes along the way. He probably failed in this iteration. Doesn't mean he'll fail in the future, but it's major yellow to red flags. Taking one guy actually probably feels, if you look at it from another direction, okay, they really like this guy. They feel like they've evaluated him correctly. And they want to bring him along. So that means that they weren't their class wasn't full of guys that they really didn't like. So, and to be fair to Napier, he's got one of the like we talked about last week, he's got one of the sensations at running back in the NFL right now. It was a six round pick. It was a two star that they identified. Now you all know me. I am a stargazer. Yeah. I will stargaze until the day I'm not on this podcast anymore. I'm all about the stars, bring in the best talent. But every roster is gonna have a gem. And perhaps they think this is a guy that fits that kind of mold. And at least in their case, they have a track record of doing that stuff at Louisiana. They've placed guys in the league from a school that typically does not place guys in the league. So there's at least, again, something on their resume that suggests a reason for us to have a little bit of faith, even if right now it doesn't feel so great. Uh, But I think the biggest narrative, Alan, you keep saying this every year, early signing day is just totally train wrecked new coaching scenarios. It's really, really put them in an impossible position to where their first class, almost by default, is not going to become a top 10 class. Lincoln Riley right now at USC, who's in a much better situation than Napier because he already had a strongly built Oklahoma class. He can poach directly from Oklahoma. He can talk to to Cali kids he was close with that were USC leans. But they're 103rd right now, 103 and we'll see where they get to. But it's pretty unlikely that USC is going to get into the top 10 this year. They could. That's possible. But next year is the class that Lincoln Riley is going to be judged on. And so is Billy Napier. Exactly. So just keep that in mind when you're going JT Raymond and you're sending the dog the dog gif where the house is burning down behind you and things are great and you're, you're melting down, you're freaking out. To JT's credit, that changed. And we're going to talk about why that changed as the day went on. But a lot of zaniness going on last week. I think a lot of Gators fans were, were freaking out on that terrible Tuesday. It felt like the program was potentially falling out. And I think now people feel differently. And there's this major reason why. Right. And I would say, yes, whatever happens with this class, whatever it's ranked, because of the portal, because of other things, I would say that next year's class, and I don't have an exact number, 
but it, it's got to be at least inside the top 10, I think, for Napier's direction to be pointing up, you know. Now, I could put some caveats around that, and maybe when it gets down to, there'll be some reasons why something weird happened or whatever, but um, I think that's what you're generally looking for. Yeah, I think that Napier has to be, to me, if his second class isn't top seven, right? then he's not what we thought he I, was. Without really drilling in on it, I wanted to give a larger range, but... Yeah, because again, I think you could be. It's not really about the number; it's probably about like the tier of it, you know. So, correct. Yeah, we'll talk about this. We need yeah. a lot more top one hundred players. That's because right. sometimes those rankings, like correct, the difference between nine and four is almost negligible, and so it doesn't matter. It goes back to those tier systems we talked about, right? Correct. And we'll give maybe a little update on that when we get to early signing day. Okay, so the the kind of the turnaround. This is like a stealthy thing because. If you were not paying super close attention to college football, this might not even register for you. Because, right, when we hired a cornerbacks coach. Now, we hired a cornerbacks coach last year, and did anybody even notice, right? Well, the guy that Florida picked up made the entire college football world take notice. They hired Corey Raymond, longtime LSU corners coach, put a lot of guys in the league, brought a lot of five-star recruits to LSU, generally thought of as one of the best position coaches in college football. Uh, so much so that I know his name. I don't know the cornerbacks coach on most universities, right? He's not even a coordinator level guy, but he's widely known as an excellent recruiter, excellent coach. People are kind of stunned that Florida was able to grab him out from out from underneath LSU. And this is represents a huge hire for Florida, but also I think the reason people liked it so much is the nod in the direction they want to go, right? Who are the kind of guys they want to have on the staff? And if they can have a staff of guys, maybe not Corey Raymond's caliber because he's so top notch. It's hard to find other guys, his equal at positions, but the guys who come close to that profile where they can really recruit and they can develop guys. That was a home run hire for Florida. That's a grand slam. And I call this turnaround Tuesday from terrible Tuesday. And that's when it all changed is the news breaks that you hire Corey Raymond. And all of a sudden to convince a guy like Corey Raymond, a Louisiana guy played at LSU, those guys don't leave that place. We've talked about the state of Louisiana being loyal to Louisiana. He leaves with Brian Kelly, who's obviously had a very interesting start, you know, social media, having a lot of fun with his little three-second video clip of just awkwardness and, and cringiness. Lincoln Riley's press conference was another absurdly weird thing. Watch that one. But here comes Florida. Okay, news of decommits. We're pulling in questionable recruits right now. But then you get Coy Raymond. And here's a guy, Allen, whose recruiting ranking sits at an average of 94.27 out of 100, which basically is he's, he's generally just pulling in about a five-star. That's like where he recruits at. So one of the absolute best recruiters. In his time at LSU, Allen, he has had eight five-stars come through the cornerback position, 10 top 100 four-stars. So that's 18 top 100 players on his own. That's incredible. Eight five-stars is more than... I think the past five or six years of UF coaches have pulled in in the non-transfer market combined. Yeah, and he's not recruiting entire rosters. These are just guys. Just that corners. Yeah. Just it. And then or he has maybe 12. maybe a, a few scud here, other positions, but 12 still. top 250, four stars. Yeah. So if you're adding all that up, that's 30 top 250 players at the cornerback position. 30. That's unbelievable. 
Just at the corner spot alone, he's averaging about what Florida's averaged in pulling top 250 players. That's how insane that is. And you take him from his home state and his home city and his alma mater with a big-name coach coming in. That was an announcement. That was a shot fired. That shocked a lot of people in college football. And it said a lot about Billy Napier's ability to get coaches to believe in what he is capable of doing. Make no mistake about it. Corey Raymond does not leave LSU unless he thinks Florida gives him a better chance to potentially move forward in his own career. Pretty remarkable stuff. Perhaps he was frustrated, whatever the case was. Who knows? But here he is at Florida. And what I think is one of the best non-coordinator hires in the modern era of college football. That's how good this hire was. And it's twofold, Alan. It's a relative win against your opponent. True. Because now you have two guys in Jaluk and Raymond who recruit Louisiana really well. And if you want to help yourself, also hurt your opponent. It's, a again, a dual win. So if Florida can recruit Louisiana at all, it's a double win, essentially, pulling an advantage over them. So that, I thought, was a massive moment. I think it quieted a lot of people down. You felt like, wow, this is this is really interesting. Kind of the, the football insiders would tell you that means something. And now as Florida waits for more hires to come to the pipeline, and we have one more to announce, there's a little bit of confidence that a guy like Coy Raymond is not coming if it's him and all Louisiana assistants. There's got to be other stuff going on for him to leave his post and come to a program like Florida. Right, and I think you were waiting on some potential NFL guys. Maybe why some of these hires hasn't slowed down. Um, or maybe wanted to talk to some of these guys. So, yeah, I think it gives you confidence if you're coming to the staff that if a guy like Corey Raymond puts his stamp of approval on it, kind of greases the wheels for other guys to come in. So we'll see what that bodes for Florida. I think it can only be positive in the short term. And it was an exciting moment, I think, especially for a fan base if you were paying very, very, very close attention, like most of you are. If you're looking for good news, that was definitely good news. All right, the other hire, uh, less notable, um, Darnell Stapleton, one of the two offensive line coaches, um, a guy who's played for the Steelers, has coached offensive line uh, with Napier. And yes, I'll confess, I, unlike Corey Raymond, I had no clue who Darnell Stapleton was. I had to Google him. But uh, I think when you're tiring two offensive line coaches, that's interesting, as we talked about. So I don't know how much weight to put on this kind of hire. You know, we'll we'll he'll get a chance to prove his worth, I guess. Oh, I think if you're going to go with co-assistance, again, Napier runs you know a zone running system, a lot of wide zone. It's very similar to what Kyle Shanahan runs. Zone blocking is hard to teach at a high level. That's why in college football, teams run it, but it's very intricate. It is basically the de facto system in the NFL. For most of the best rushing attacks you know. Derrick Henry, he runs in an outside zone or wide zone system, right? Um, you can go back for the past 25 years. Most of the leading rushers in the NFL run this system. But it is complicated for offensive linemen. It's a boon to running backs. This should further bolster Florida recruiting running backs. So you take a guy who has played in the NFL, who's played in his own blocking system, who's coached in your system, there's a lot of institutional knowledge there on how you want to teach that. And then perhaps you pair it with someone else who I think is probably going to be an NFL guy, if I had to imagine, because that would also fit somebody running a kind of zone run system. We will see. But in that case, that hire would make a lot of sense. 
uh, we have to see. Again, you have to see. Like right now, okay, fine. Let's see who the other assistant O-line coach is before we say anything else. If it was just him, probably a little bit head-scratching, but it's not. So, you know, wait and see what happens there. But those are the hires for the staff right now, leaving Florida with, what do we have here at Total Allen? We have Stapleton, Jaluk, Raymond, and Tony along with strength and conditioning coach Mark Hawk. So that's where we are right now as far as staff goes still. Was it five or six positions left to fill here? Yeah, six, I believe. So a lot to come. Um, yeah, I, and again, these are going to be things that you judge. Really, it's going to be a year and a half plus, right? What does the team look like on the field? Development, right? But you're going to be at the beginning of your development of these players. And what does the recruiting look like? So really a whole, at least a year from now before we could really even say anything positive or negative about what's going on with them definitively, or at least close to definitively. Okay. Also, you probably, if you're following the Florida Gators Twitter feed, you're seeing a slew of analysts being hired. Uh, we talked about that, that last week, the budget that's been given to this coaching staff to hire an army of analysts, as Napier said. So I don't think we necessarily need to go through each one. Um, No, I don't think we'll go through any of them. Other than to say, I actually had the big homie do some research and try to find out how much Alabama's off-field assistants get paid. It's not published information. It's it's impossible to know, but it it seems likely that Florida's $5 million for off-field assistants, or analysts rather, could be the highest in the entire country. If you can figure that out, write to me this week on Twitter. We could not figure it out. It's hard to figure it out. But if it's not the top, it's right there. Right there. It's at least commensurate with the top five programs. That's a crazy change in what's been going on here and something we looked for and wanted. So you're going to get all these announcements to guys, and you're going to see their pictures and think, that guy doesn't look football-related. That guy doesn't look like whatever. Well, he's not supposed to be. He's an analyst, right? He has a specific function off the field that will matter and of course if florida gets this thing rolling perhaps we become like nick saban and our analysts are famous coaches you've heard of but that's not going to happen out of the gate right if you're looking for the saban style and i wouldn't hold your breath there um so you all you do create a little farm system for yourself either these guys get hired away to be coordinator somewhere else or maybe position coaches on your own staff right so it creates some continuity there as well you've seen saban hire guys from the analyst position to his on-field coaching staff which is a nice little way to do things if that works out for you. Okay. Also in the news, players entering the portal, right? Florida players uh, entering in. Nobody coming out to Florida yet. And so here's what I'll say about the portal. I've, I've seen several people say this, maybe David Wonderlick, Andy Staples. I can't remember who all has been coming on this. You know, it's not a bad idea when you're with there's a new coaching staff or even before there's a new coaching staff to put yourself in the portal if you don't think it's going to burn bridges in your own culture right which it might but if you're a coach who's coming in who's left one job i don't know how you'd begrudge another player or a player from looking around as well but going in the portal doesn't mean you're officially gone but it does allow you legally to talk to other teams and hear feedback and kind of weigh your options so this might become more and more common where you would see Lots of guys go in the portal. Now, before, if someone goes in the portal, they're essentially gone. I don't know if that will always be the case. It might start to become like, you know, the players who declare for the NBA draft to get the feedback from the NBA and then come back. So we'll see if that, which way that trend goes. But right now, Florida's got 
I guess, six guys in the portal. Some of them potentially meaningful, others not. Um, we talked about Dante Xanders and Gerald Mincy. Um, who committed to Tennessee. Right. So that's where he's at. And he, he perhaps, as a three-star alignment, was a guy that we talked about as maybe right. one of the biggest casualties for Florida on this transfer list. Sure. A guy who probably would have been in line and play. Um, Xander's, again, a guy that you would expect that level of attrition. Chris Bogle is a guy I do not want to leave. Um, there's rumors that I guess he might be considering saying. I guess that word got out of the neighbor is like, I need to talk. I don't know if that's a headline from a news story or anything, but until these guys sign somewhere else, they're not officially gone. Um, and but, Cox, Cox stayed, which I think yes. is what led Bogle to believe perhaps I should get out of here. This guy's been in front of me the whole exactly. time. He's stealing my playing time. But I mean, Bogle, four star, highly thought of guy. He's been not special on the field, but he's a, he's a guy who's got talent and length. And perhaps again, in, in a defensive system that's going to be cohesive, make sense, and be tactical, he might find a role. So it would make sense for him to at least listen. Well, he's a talented guy who yeah, is productive when he's on the field. No, he is. He's fine. I mean, he hasn't been like a this guy's a hero, but again, on Florida's defense, <laughs> there's a lot of there was a lot of poor coaching. So you would think totally. if you are a defensive player, you should be leaning towards at least listening to what this staff has to say to you because this staff should on defense be a lot more technically and tactically sound, especially for modern football. Now, whether or not you get that if you're 20 or 21, based upon your feelings and where you've been and what your social media friends tell you and everything else goes on, maybe you're not there. But I think it would be wise for Bogle to listen perhaps to what the coaching staff would have to say. Lloyd Summerall, um, similar profile to Bogle, four-star edge rusher, but has basically almost never played at Florida. Yeah, like eight snaps or something, a handful. Which again, with this with this staff, I I wouldn't say that kills you, you know. No, but for him, no, no, no. for him, maybe greener pastures. Same kind of thing. Bogle stays, Cox stays. You're thinking, man, there's a lot of guys in front of me. Well, you also might if you're Chris Bogle, you probably like I could start somewhere, and I think he's right. Correct. That's exactly what he's thinking. Somewhere all might be looking and saying, might be reevaluating his level. Also true. Mm-hmm. Which Fine. makes sense. Yeah, for sure. That's going to happen to some guys too. Uh, Jacob Copeland, who we've discussed quite a bit. Yeah, the most notable transfer right. for sure. Um, can't say I shed any tears about this. About Copeland? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would like to keep talented guys in your program. Certainly. But productivity-wise, it's not like Florida just lost a ton. I'll say that. I, I would, would I rather him stay? Certainly, from a talent perspective. But I don't think this murders florida no and this has been a guy character wise and i mean football character wise not off the field i have no idea what's going on but football character wise he's had some bad looks this past year a little bit of kind of him over the team scenarios right when things go south or sideways or indifferent and you can expect that from younger guys but i suppose it makes it a little bit easier to absorb a guy who wants to transfer if he's sort of been a little bit seemingly of a me first guy and i don't want to tag him with that alan uh, at all but I think it's worth putting that on the docket that mm, there was a little bit of that going on. And I think that would make sense to why a guy like that would transfer some. Again, top 100 guy. He was productive. He will be sought after by all the big teams. He's not going to go to a small school. He will go to a major school. So it's it's a loss I'd rather not have had Florida endure. Uh, but again, if a guy's going to leave that quickly with a new staff coming in, and one that would feature Copeland pretty significantly – we talked about Napier's system. There's going to be a lot of two wide receiver sets where you are throwing deep passes. 
off play action. That is Copeland's skill set. Exactly. So if I am in Copeland's inner circle, I have his ear saying, you might want to reevaluate this. This is a program that will feature you, much like Alabama featured Jamison uh, Williams this year. You you like that. That fits your skill set. So don't just go jumping the gun because you're frustrated with Florida or you're out of here or whatever. Uh, but it seems like he's he's definitely out of here. Yeah. I mean, I guess all things are possible unless he signs somewhere else. But as I said before, but seemingly like that's gone. A guy in Mahmoud Diabate that I have mixed feelings about as well. I really like this guy. There's times where he really flashes, especially as an edge rusher. He's an undersized guy to be an edge rusher. He's not an instinctual linebacker. But he's got a lot of tools that could be really productive if utilized correctly. I don't know that the staff, the previous staff, ever really figured that out. Not He's not an obvious plug-and-play kind of guy, but he's a really talented guy and seemingly really smart and thoughtful guy as well. Yeah, this is probably the one where I was most like, ah, I hate to lose that potential. Now, again, maybe he always is a tweener guy who never really figures it out on the field fully. But that's the kind of guy I would like to have in my program. Interesting stuff here. Uh, of course, he had been in he, bad look for him, too. Again, when things go down, you don't want to start exposing your own program. You should be a, you should be a Florida Gator first. And foremost, so you don't burn your program down if Dan Mullen leaves and starts saying the nutrition sucks and the program sucks and people suck. And sure, that's not what you want to do. Um, you just don't want to do that. And so not a great look from him there. I understand he's frustrated, but also a really curious look here again. Tactical defense coming in, high level smart defense coming in, uh, surprising short-sighted perhaps a move born out of frustration i don't know but as a florida fan and someone who looks on film a lot i've never been enamored with diabate i mean we've talked about it continually as an actual traditional linebacker he leaves a lot to be desired he has a hard time shedding blocks he's undersized he's pretty much just a guy you can kind of point and click to rush into a gap but He's no hopper. He's not He's not another guy no, you may pair not. with. But he's a useful guy and a guy that was a smart guy and a guy that you would have liked to have had in your program. And a little bit of a surprising leave there. So you're losing a lot of productivity with Copeland and Diabate going out. There goes your top tackler, and there goes one of your top offensive uh, weapons. So there, there's, a, there's some serious production that will be missed next year, at least from what Florida did in this previous year. And maybe more to come as well. There's Yeah, probably not the end of this at this no, point. I would Definitely not. not, especially with the bowl game coming and other stuff going down. And I would you think you would more. see post-spring practice as things start to iron out a little bit more. You'll see attrition. But the, every program in America is going to experience, I think, heavy attrition with the new transfer rules. All right, we're recording this Monday afternoon, as usual. Signing day is mere hours away, right? Uh, just a few days away. And so usually at this time, I think we're we're looking at the class. It's going to be mostly locked up as far as who's we have, maybe a few last-minute things, and then right, then the bulk of your class is in. Maybe if you get to augment that in the traditional signing day window. But let me ask you this right now. How are you feeling about early signing day? Is it – I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean it feels, it feels bad because anytime you're not going to take anyone, it, it feels bad. But it also feels expected, so therefore it feels less bad. But I don't think you go around banging the drum of, of joyous celebration 
because you're taking no one when Texas A&M, Georgia, Alabama, right? They're loading up, just loading up with guys. And you're like, okay, we have zero that we're taking. That sucks, but that's also expected and part of the plan, which we covered earlier in this podcast. So no need to go back over that. So I am leaning on the plan Napier has because it has worked in the past. And history is the best predictor of the future. And therefore, I'm going to watch and see. And we will report heavily on National Signing Day in February, Alan, as to what that plan looked like for year one. And then most importantly, we will chronicle all of the recruiting that goes on in year two, which is going to be a definitive, in my opinion, make or break measuring stick for Billy Napier's ceiling in the future. Well said. Yeah, I would say there's not a lot of anticipation. doesn't mean there's they're not going to pick up any recruits here in the next couple of days, right? But I don't think it's going to be this flood of commitments coming in in the next 24 hours. So, yeah, I think normally this is a time of great expectation in terms of what's going to happen. People love signing day. They love the flips. They love the decommits, right? Who do we steal? Almost the narrative is like, you could have a top four class and no one committed or decommitted. I was like, wow. And then you had a number 10 class and everybody get a wave of commits at the last day. Oh, you close so strong. That kind of stuff doesn't do anything for me. Really. Um, it's newsy. It's buzzy, right? There's some excitement to it, but ultimately I, I care about the bottom line of it. Um, so let's, let's do maybe a little bit of an autopsy of the Mullen regime essentially failing at recruiting because I think it's important to talk about what does success look like and what is the components of a successful recruiting operation. Again, we're not inside the building. We don't have every kind of detail or we haven't built our own recruiting like operation. So limited knowledge here, but let's start with why do we think Mullen failed at recruiting? Well, I think in general, he didn't put enough emphasis and investment into it. That's step one. Right. If you want to be successful at something when you're competing with other people, how much do you invest in it? So I'll give you a simple example. I love pickleball. That's not lost on you, Alan. It's uh, not. A lot of our listeners know this. I love it. My goal is to try to make it to the open pro level. I'm climbing that ladder and I'm trying to get there. But if I want to do that, I have to invest heavily my time into training. If I just go play with my friends, even though they're all, you know, at a really high level, that's not going to get me good enough, right? I have to invest time and effort and resources into getting my skills to that level. The same is true of a pro athlete. If they want to consistently play the top level, they are investing time year round in their body and their nutrition and their development and their ability to process film and their ability to run routes, whatever the case may be, they have to get better. So for Mullen, if you peel behind the curtain, the resources were really never heavily focused on recruiting. And that makes sense because Mullen himself didn't really believe recruiting mattered because he was obviously very invested in the schematic side of football to a point that hurt him dearly. It cost him his job, uh, and you can't view it that way. So if you don't invest heavily, you're already pretty much out of the game. If you do invest heavily, then it comes down to how you are investing. Of course, all of you, if you follow Major League Baseball, where teams can invest whatever they want and pay a luxury tax, right? It doesn't always work out. You could put a lot of money in the wrong people and it doesn't work. So just because you're investing a lot doesn't mean it works. You've got to invest a lot. Then you also have to have a good process that has worked or is going to work. Now, sometimes you take Kirby Smart, who no one knew how he was going to be as a head coach recruiter. He comes in. His process obviously worked. He has proven it at the highest level. Now we take Napier and we say, okay, at Louisiana, it worked. 
We took the Mullen, and when Mullen came in, Alan, we said at, at Mississippi State, it didn't work. His recruiting process didn't work, in our opinion. It did not move past the baseline of that school, and we had major reservations. And for Mullen, he figured, well, hey, I level jumped from Mississippi State to Florida. I was ranked number one at you know MSU. Therefore, at Florida, I can probably expect I'll just walk into a national title if I just recruit at a nominal level. Uh, so I think that, that that is the key, right? Investment and process. Where do your resources go and what do you say? What do you talk about? It is recruiting matter to you? Is it important to you? Is it, is it the lifeblood of winning? And for Mullen, it wasn't. And he paid that price dearly. And of course, we've heard all sorts of stories that have come out with whether or not his recruiting director was actually the one responding back to text messages or you know whatever the case may be going on with the program it just wasn't heavily invested and that's going to kill you you just cannot have that recruiting is very complicated it's very vast it's very detailed it's dealing with human relationships it's dealing with high schoolers their parents their families their coaches the cities they live in where they want to go the more information you can have on them the more you can keep track of the record of a guy you start recruiting in eighth grade, the more your chances of success are to land him. And I think that's what Napier wants to do. He wants to build a robust system, a recruiting map across the country that keeps track of these players, their families, what they like, what they don't like, what they want to be in. So when it comes time to decide, I want this one over this one, not only does Florida have a chance to pick the right guys, but the right guys have a chance to pick Florida because they've gotten to know the program at an intimate level. Yeah, I think a lot of the narrative has been around Mullen as a recruiter himself. And I don't think he was a plus recruiter by any means, right? I do think it's really helpful for your program to have as its head coach a guy who is very good at recruiting, who prioritizes it in his own time and can, you know, be an asset, right? But let's say you're not the best kind of, you're not Corey Raymond, you're not, Mario Cristobal or whatever, you realize that you're more bent in other directions. If Mullen had invested the inf- into the infrastructure and staffing and the overall system of recruiting that Billy Napier seems to, I think he would have been successful, no matter his limitations personally as a recruiter. Right? You could say, I'm not really great at this, but I value it intensely. So I will surround myself and I will build a machine. I think from Mullen, maybe those two things go hand in hand. Maybe it's hard to be really value something that you're not really great at. I don't know. Maybe that's human nature kind of a thing. But obviously, through effort and investment and time, it wasn't valued in the way that it needed to be. So, again, I think it's really helpful if Bill and Napier is an ace recruiter. I don't think he has to be the best recruiter in the country for Florida to have a top-notch recruiting class because he's so invested in building out this machine that's going to really excel at recruiting. So I think that just doesn't just come to down to like, was Dan a good recruiter check? Yes or no. I think the entire infrastructure behind that, and that's, it's kind of opaque. It's hard to know that it's hard to know what's going on behind the scenes. You hear things, but I think the signals that Dan was sending and what we know of the infrastructure was severely lacking. And, Everything Napier said and the things he's done already points in the direction that he values it in an entirely different way than Mullen and his staff. Yeah, well said. And that's what we have to see now is does the process he has, does it work? Is it a good process at this level? 
And I think there's a lot of reason to believe it is, which is why, obviously, we liked him as our number one hire. All right, some coaching carousel. Before we get to that, do you want me oh, to yeah. what do you got? tell us about a little free no-fee ticket site? Yeah. Uh, man, you know that Brett Bonquery loves it when you tell us about things like this. <laughs> so please do so. All right, James. I don't know if you're trying to go to a, a game this holiday season. I may or may not be. Tick pick, right? If you are, that's where you want to go. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all tickets for NCAA football, NFL, concerts, NBA, and more. TickPick guarantees the best prices on all their college football tickets. If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's pretty interesting there. So visit TickPick today at TickPick.com slash Gators. That's TickPick.com slash Gators. As that, you just said, James, the coaching carousel rolls on. It does roll on, and you can find tickets to TickPick to go to some of these games. These new coaches won't be there, but you can watch their schools. So Oregon hires UGA's defensive coordinator, a guy we talked about, rising kind of superstar in the defensive ranks, perhaps a little bit of luster off after Bama beat him like a drum, but he's got the playoff to prove his worth. One Dan Lanning. How do you like this hire for Oregon? This is a moonshot hire. Right. We, he was on our board. Right. And I think as you get down to a certain level, this starts to make sense. Oregon is on the back half of this coaching hire, these hiring cycle. And I think if you're looking at the profile of who is available or who you might hire, right, they didn't go towards somebody who they didn't hire somebody. Maybe there's rumors that they want to try. Justin Wilcox at Cal, which I think would have been rather uninspiring, even though he's connected to the area. This is huge. This is going to, in my mind, either going to be very successful or a huge flame out. And I have no idea. There's no way to know, really. But he fits the profile of someone you would want to take a flyer on. This is kind of a lottery ticket for them. They're, they're going for it here. Swinging for the fences. I'll use every kind of cliche. So I like it. I don't love it because there's way too much unknown. But I think personally, as we said last week, I would rather hire him than somebody I think is I've seen them fail at the job before. So this goes to our our extensive coaching search podcast we did. Who are your baseline test guys that were available? Luke Fickle. Well, Luke Fickle is missing maybe the greatest hiring cycle of all time. And therefore, he's apparently locked in in Cincinnati forever. I don't know. We'll find out. Okay, well, Lou Fickle's not available. So where do you go then? Well, all the other guys, I mean, every single other guy we listed, except for Lane Kiffin, who's not going to leave Ole Miss to go to Oregon, at least not presumably, is not available. So you're down to what we call the wild cards. And Dan Lanning was the guy we mentioned as one of the super wild cards who is a moonshot. So I think if you look at it through that kind of funnel, it makes a lot of sense. It is an exciting hire. I'm excited to see it. It could be a catastrophic failure, but it could also be a Kirby Smart level hire. And I think if you're Oregon at the state they were in and where they were at, it makes a lot of sense. You have to compete with Lincoln Riley now. Try to get a guy who's been a part of a phenomenally good recruiting staff, who's got great X's and O's on the defensive side of the ball, is known as a forward thinker. Now, again, we've seen time and time again that guys come off great recruiting staffs doesn't mean they themselves know how to do it, right, and structure it. But for all those reasons, I think it's a good hire. Again, 
Chip Kelly was rumored to be a part of that. I think we all know Chip Kelly is seemingly totally checked out of the recruiting side of football. He's still a very good football coach. That's why UCLA got the results they did this year with a really under-talented roster. Uh, So I think it's a recognition from Oregon that you need to take a moonshot if there's not a guy that is available to the funnel we went through, and there just wasn't those kind of guys. They didn't have a shot at the guys we talked about. So that seems like a seems like a pretty good moonshot that could totally blow up right in your face because there's not a lot known about him and it's early on in his career. But uh, I'm with you. I'm not like it given that process. Yeah, if they had hired Justin Wilcox, it might have been. I think he's got a much higher floor. Much higher floor. But who cares about the floor? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't but it, matter. Everyone would been like, ah. go for the ceiling. It's what you want. I love it. Fire the ceiling shot. So we'll see. I mean, th- this is a. A huge gamble by Oregon, but I kind of like it for them. On the other end of the spectrum, Duke hires Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator for an A&M. I don't know if there's a person who's going to go to Duke that would actually excite you, but this feels like a very reasonable hire to them. I don't have any negative thing to say about it. He's been a good defensive coordinator. I have no idea what he'd be able to accomplish at a place like Duke, which is incredibly difficult. David Cutcliffe had been there forever and had a really good run as a coach. You know, that made them a competent team more often than not. So the bar has been raised at Duke. They're not total doormat like they were earlier, but obviously lots of room to grow. Who knows if he can he could take him to the next level if that's even possible at a place like Duke. But not a bad hire. No, this is an incredible hire to me. I mean, Mike Eklo is one of the highest paid defensive assistants in the country. Yeah. And he's a guy that we chronicled at AM where he took their defense from total trash and made it good. We've seen him on film. Uh, it's solid. And so why he would go to Duke is beyond me. I was shocked. I mean, his star was rising. He sought after. It feels like you spend one, two, three more years there, perhaps, and you kind of choose one of these next-level jobs as your star continues to rise more. It felt like he left this curve early. I don't know anything about his background, if he has some tie to Duke, if Duke is some... If there's some reason, but that is surprising. I mean, Duke is a school. I know Steve Spurrier won there. But I think in the modern era, that's basically impossible to win at. So for Elko to go to that spot, it surprises me. I mean, it really surprises me. I don't don't see why he would do that. If I were him, I would never do that. So good for him. We'll see what happens. But that seems like a bad decision by him. It seems like a good hire by Duke. You're taking a really accomplished defensive coordinator who's well, well thought of by everyone and you're putting him in a head coaching spot. So that's a good hire by them. So I think almost more interesting for us, so our purpose is that this very much potentially weakens A&M. Now they have a chance to come in and hire somebody who's really good, but yeah, it's good. He's going to be hard to replace. So there you go. All right. Virginia hires Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator, this is something that's interesting. I don't know that you've been super enamored with Clemson offense this year. Jeff Scott, their other kind of guy, had left already to go down to USF. I mean, Elliot obviously has been around that Clemson program for a long time. So I think it's a fine hire. Um, interesting time at Clemson, though. I think that's the thing I want to talk about more is Venable's gone, Elliot gone, their athletic director's gone. I mean, they've been the model of consistency, kind of the anti-Alabama in this, where they don't turn anybody over. Nobody leaves. Now everybody's left. 
So it'll be really fascinating to see how they handle this kind of transition and what they look like next year. Yeah, we're going to find out how good Dabo is at maintaining uh, newness in the program. Right, Saban is the best because he he maintains newness like it's nothing. I mean, the guy's got half of a new on-field coaching staff almost every single year, and that's remarkable when you think about that. Dabo's had precisely the opposite. It's this is going to be a humongous challenge for Dabo Sweeney, and of course, if he comes through at Allen on the positive side, then he will cement himself as a guy who is not only let's call him like a dream team builder where maybe he stumbled into these great assistant coaches and his run lasted longer than Ed Orgeron did at LSU because he's more of a culture guy and he's a better system builder. But this will test his mettle. Offense and defense will be wholesale changes, new coordinators, both sides, a lot of different feeling and vibes in the program, new athletic directors, a lot of stuff going on. So I'm glad you brought that up. As far as Virginia goes for this hire, this feels fine. I don't know how excited anybody is about this hire, but you did get a guy who's recruited that area of the country consistently for a long time. And I think Virginia wanted that. I think they felt like he's well-known amongst all those high schools. He's got a network already built there. And he obviously knows what he's doing as a coach, even if he's not known as one of the forward-thinking offensive minds. So it makes some sense, but I don't know that you're... I think you're fine. you know. But he wasn't known as one of the coordinators that was really lighting up the country with buzz, like a Venables was, obviously. So we'll see. But I, I get why they did it. I get it. All right. Let's talk about the Cave Museum real fast. So each and every week, you've heard me mention this. Alan, go visit the Cave Museum. It's really, really cool. Great stuff going on there all the time. Again, the Gatorade exhibit is one of my favorites at any museum. It's worth a visit alone. And you can use our code GatorNation either online at cademuseum.org or just walk right up to the desk in beautiful downtown Gainesville and say the phrase Gator Nation. And they will give you a buy one, get one free. So next time you are in Gainesville, that will be available. Please use that. Enjoy it. Give us some feedback. Let us know how you like the Cade. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply coaching corner here alan i have one there were lots of things that happened this past week but i wanted to bring this one up 
Friday night in the FCF playoffs, FCS playoffs, Saturday night in the FCS playoffs, sorry, Sam Houston State, a team that had won 22 games in a row dating back to November 19th, was playing at home as seven-point favorites against Montana State, and they were getting beat like a drum, down three scores with 11 minutes left in the fourth, and they do something that just blows my mind every time I see someone do this. It's the playoffs. If you lose, you are out. It's fourth down and 10 on your own 35-yard line, and you punt? You can't. You just give me the rationale for punting here. Is there? I mean, give it to me. I need something. You're scared somebody's going to criticize you overly about losing worse, right? I mean, you got to die on the hill here. Like, if you score, the crazy thing is, it's fourth and ten. If you convert that and you score there and you go down two scores with eight nine minutes left, that's very much a football game. But they punted, get the ball back with six minutes left. They did actually eventually almost score, but there's like four minutes left. The game, the game is over. Then it's totally over. That stuff blows my mind, and you see it, it every me. single week. You see it in the NFL too, and it truly is remarkable that it's like coaches care more about losing less than they do trying to win the football game. Crazy stuff. Okay, a little bit of news here, I guess. Anthony Richardson uh, does have surgery on his meniscus, right? That that was something he had. Previously had injured, I guess, worsened it in the FSU game. So he's not going to be available for the bowl game. And then we got sent this to a few times, uh, his Instagram posts. Um, maybe nodding at that he could consider leaving, is leaving. Or maybe it's nothing and it's an Instagram post that everyone is reading very wrong. Any reaction to it? Instagram for some people is is like pick your favorite analogy of giving someone something. Pick whichever one you like that shouldn't have it. I think it's hard in the in the world we live in, Alan, to be famous. Um, it's hard, and to be young and famous is even harder. But these guys are using Instagram like a weapon. It's sort of like an emotional weapon. Like let me post some stuff and see what your reaction is. And I'm not saying he's doing this, but it's hard to say he's not doing it. We all want to be loved. We all want to felt. We all want to be cared for. We all want to feel like we're wanted. And posting on your Insta that you know basically like you got to believe in with a shot of you walking in the swamp is just why are you doing that? And, and are you acting like quote I just like the song? Come on, I mean come on. So we've all been in college one day. We've we're all adults who who make questionable choices. But I think if. Everyone in the world did not have a social media world or button they could press where 25,000 people immediately saw exactly what they were thinking at every moment. It's probably a better world <laughs> because so. once it's so. out there, you can't take it back. You know, maybe you tell your friend or you post it to two people, but the whole world sees it. So I don't know. It feels very diva oriented. feels very look at me oriented. I like AR a lot. I think he's a great guy. Everyone in the community says the same thing about him. So it's an Insta post, but it does feel like a little bait. feels like we're being baited. Like, hey, am I going to stay? Am I going to leave? And no, nobody likes that. Look, no one. When your favorite athlete on your pro team is is entering free agency, you want him to say things like, "Hey, look, I'm going to stay here. If they match an offer or whatever happens, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to test my free market, but I'm I'm going to stay here if they match me." You want to hear that. You want some loyalty. You don't want to feel like your quarterback is dangling in the wind, and any any pursuer that comes to get him is going to take him away, and he's going to be like, "I'm available." So you know, 
I don't love it. As yeah. far as the surgery goes, I like that. Don't you know? Get yourself right. Get yourself for sure. right for spring camp. The bowl game doesn't matter. We're going to say that ten more times, especially not now. So I'm fine. But the Insta Post, I'm kind of. I've always been over that stuff. I just don't like the drama that that is constantly going on with a lot of these athletes. Maybe it was innocent, and if that's the case, then maybe he just needs to understand how to use social media and what are the repercussions of it. I don't want to like get into it. Obviously, him leaving would be the worst possible news. It would be terrible. That'd be a huge blow to the immediate success of the program. So we'll leave it at that. We won't spend too much time out there. All right, let's talk about BetUS because we're about to get to the bowl slate. Let's every go. every year we do this bowl slate, Alan, and it, reading the names off is, is so much fun. It's the best part. And we kept the names here again because why the heck not? All right, it is brought to you by BetUS. Our show is brought to you by BetUS and... I just want to let everyone know that I have been on fire with my parlays recently. I don't publish them. I'm not Daytona Steve, but I've been nailing my money line Congrats parlays. To you. Yeah, so thank you, BetUS. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, but to sign up, you too can join BetUS.com. Use the promo code GNation125 to get a sign up bonus, and you will get a fat sign up bonus. If you put 100 bucks in, you will get an additional 125 added to your account to play with. You can also sign up using crypto. Use the code GNation200 and get a big bonus as well. And if you use one of those codes, you are directly supporting the GNFP as Alan and I get a hundred bucks or a hundo bomb for each person that signs up, which is great. So visit betus.com today and follow those codes. Okay, Alan, I'm going to start off reading these bowl games off and then we're going to switch halfway through because there are a ton of them. I think there's 44 bowl games this year or something something like that. Yeah. Crazy number. And the first one starts this week in just a few days, the Bahamas Bowl featuring a riveting matchup of Middle Tennessee versus Toledo. Toledo's favored by 10. Who are you taking here? Uh, the Bahamas Bowl. Such a beautiful tradition. I don't know. Like a lot of these, I'm going to say this over and over again. I really couldn't give you a great answer. The numbers are interesting. You can kind of go by the lines of what is Vegas telling you. Um, but I like Toledo here. I like Toledo points. too. I mean, I, these these are. I'm going to say it only one time as we go through all these. Do not bet on any bowl games no. I'm giving you. No. You know, I, we're not going to go through my extensive bowl game beliefs. You've heard them before if you've listened for previous years. But in a nutshell, I don't believe in any of them that are not playoff oriented or ones that matter. So in the Middle Tennessee versus Toledo game, if you have inside information that one of those teams cares more about it, bet that team. That's my total philosophy. It's oftentimes really hard to know that from the outside. So if you can figure that out, bet them. If you can't, just stay away and enjoy the bowl games. Sometimes it's obvious things. that a team is playing up. They'd be more excited than the team yes, is playing down. Yes, then like those games for sure. But some of these games, like our next one on the September 17th, the Tail Greeter. That's right, Tail Greeter. Cure Bowl, Northern Illinois versus Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina favored by 10.5. I'm tempted to take Northern Illinois here because I think Coastal Carolina is a little more public. But I've loved them all year. I'm going to stick with the mullets over in Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina is great. I I'd stuck with the Salukis. They won their championship, and I'm going to stick with them here to cover that 10.5. I think this is a game where Northern Illinois feels a tremendous carrot against Coastal Carolina. I think Coastal Carolina also cares about being in bowl games, so this is a tough one to predict with the momentum of who wants to be there theory. All right, December 18th, the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl, hey, which is smart by Boca Raton. Otherwise, where are these bowls? I don't know. I don't know where the tail grader cure bowl is. I know where this one is in Boca, Western Kentucky. 
who lost in their conference championship game versus App State, who also lost in their championship game. App State favored by three. Mm, interesting. I think I'm going to go Western Kentucky here, and that's a pure gut. All right, we'll do it. Wes will be happy. He's got my flag football team, went to Western Kentucky, played tight end, and I'm going to take App State. Sorry, Wes. Cricket Celebration Bowl. I mean, come on. You can't make this up. South Carolina State versus Jackson State. We have no spread, so we're going to pick them straight up. I don't know. You don't know. Let's go Jackson State. That's Dion, right? Yeah, that's what I was doing. I was waiting. Dion, I was going to I was gonna pull that out. So you can't bet against Dion? I guess you can't. Let's go. Prime time. All right. Um, this is amazing, by the way, if you play video games, that this is real. The PUBG Mobile New Mexico Bowl. So there Wild. you go. If you're into that, there it is. PUBG Mobile New Mexico Bowl. UTEP versus Fresno State. Fresno State... A team I love, obviously. Coach has left. I think he's coaching this game, though, uh, against UTEP. Fresno State favored by 11 and a half. I think UTEP is going to cover this. Okay. I like it. I, I should have, I should be better prepared for this. If he's not coaching, I'm going to regret this. I think he is, but maybe he's not. But either way, I'm, gonna, I'm taking this. I'm taking Fresno State here. And I could regret that. December 18th, the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. It's not the Radiance Technologies Communist Bowl. It's the Independence Bowl. I love and it. UAB is playing against BYU, where BYU is favored by six and a half. So this is weird. So BYU gets locked in this bowl basically because they're an independent. People are like, oh, they're screwing over BYU. BYU basically committed this bowl like before the season started, I think. I would have thought this number would be much higher because BYU is fairly solid this year. So maybe it's baked into their disappointment being here, but I'll, I'll still take BYU. Yeah, I'm backing up the brinks on this one for BYU. I like this line in this game, and I think they'll play well. Eastern Michigan versus Liberty. Liberty favored by nine and a half. Liberty has been not productive this year. This has not been the kind of year that they wanted to follow up with, but I still like them in this game against Eastern Michigan. I like it as well. Jimmy Kimmel, LA Bowl. Amazing that Jimmy Kimmel and his staff pulled this stuff Great off. Great job, Jimmy I mean, Kimmel. That's amazing. I'm sorry. It's amazing. Uh, sorry, I forgot something. Jimmy Kimmel, LA Bowl, presented by Stiefel. There you go. Utah State versus Oregon State. A nice matchup here. Mm-hmm. This is a good game, actually. Oregon State favored by seven and a half. I do not have a good feel for this at all. But I've liked the way Oregon State's played. I'm going to pick them. Yeah, this is a really tough one for me. I think seven and a half is a bit too high. I like Utah State. Again, a team that won their conference championship as well. The RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Louisiana minus one Billy Napier playing against Marshall. Louisiana favored by five in this one. Oh, man. Who knows, really? Uh, what is Louisiana going to look like at all post-Napier? If you could tell me, that means you know a lot. Um, I'll stick with Louisiana here. I'm going to stick with them, too. I think that Napier is a system builder, so that program should stay, hopefully, kind of like an Urban Meyer-like intact at Utah there with Kyle Whittingham. So we'll see what happens. The Myrtle Beach Bowl on December 20th, presented by Tax Act. Old Dominion taking on Tulsa. Tulsa favored by eight and a half. I like ODU here. That number's a little too high. Okay. I like Tulsa. This is going to be fun. We got a, One of us is going to get smoked probably the way we're going. Probably like me. That's right. December 21st. No, you're the season champion this year. December 1st, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. One of my favorite bowl names of all. Kent State versus Wyoming. Wyoming favored by three. I'll take Wyoming here. Okay. Any reason why? Nope. Just yeah. like them. Same for me. Pick the, pick the brown team. Because uh, who's brown, really, besides 
a handful of teams. All right, the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. That's right. Mm -hmm. You heard that right. Mm -hmm. UTSA minus two and a half over San Diego State. This feels like a really fun game potentially. And that line feels low to me. I'll take UTSA. All right, UTSA, conference champions playing in San Diego City. Got wrecked by Utah State. Not sure about the athleticism between these two teams. I think San Diego State might be a little bit more talented, also a little bit less interested in this game. So I'm going to stick with UTSA, just like you. Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, Missouri taking on Army. We're going to pick this straight up. Missouri. Wow, confident. I'm gonna Not really. I'm going to do the same. Army with a riveting win, by the way. Mm-hmm. They were um, not good this year, though, for the most part. No, or sorry, Navy with a riveting win over Army. That's yeah. what I meant to say. A, a, an upset, though. Army was 8-3, I think. You're right. You threw me Navy off Navy 3-8. Yeah. Um, I so, inverted them in my mind. Yes, yes, yes. I inverted that. I'm sorry. Sweet uniforms by Army if you yeah. watch the Army-Navy game. And Navy gets the dub. So they're entering in on a very low note, losing to their rival. All right. December 23rd, the Frisco Football Classic, North Texas versus Miami of Ohio. Favored by three, Miami is. I'll take North Texas getting the points here. Anytime you get a chance to pick the mean green, you got to do it. All right. And then our game. Do you want to go ahead and pick it? Yeah, we're going to pick it because this this is all we're going to do. We're going to talk about it right now. Yeah, we used to do bowl preps and previews and news there. But you know what? This year when you have a coaching staff change and everything else, you're going to get it right now. December 23rd, the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa. UCF taking on Florida, a battle for the Sunshine State. Florida only favored by seven. Tells you a lot about where things are for this bowl game. Alan, give us a little kind of what you're feeling for the game. We're going to do like a little three or four minute kind of walkthrough on this one right now. But what do you like and what are you feeling and who are you going to pick? So the Richardson news, I think, certainly deflates the expectations for me. I think he would have been really interesting to watch. I would like to watch him play again. I don't, I think this is the right decision. As you said, that he should go ahead and get surgery, but I I don't know. Florida obviously played competently against Florida state, but I don't like them in this scenario. I don't feel like their focus is going to be on UCF at all. And UCF's focus is going to be on Florida. I think it's going to be a close game. So I'll, I'll take UCF to cover. I have no read here, but it's funny that Gus Malzahn matched up here with the SEC. I mean, Emory Jones is playing, which means who knows, right? No AR due to injury. We've seen what this looks like. It's ugly. It's bad. This Florida team's got to be as unmotivated as ever. Um, UCF's not great this year either. They've got plenty of issues. But you got to think UCF is going to be at an all-time high to want to win this football game. They know that Florida doesn't care, but it's a chance for – Malzahn to pick up a win over Florida in a bowl game. And I just think Florida doesn't care. The only benefit Florida gets is, you know, the staff is telling them we will be using the film from this bowl game, especially for the younger guys to evaluate what kind of player you are. That does mean something for Florida. Um, With all that being said, if AR is playing in this game, I think Florida wins handily. I think without him, it's really hard to know how Florida is going to play. So I like UCF. I'm taking UCF as well in this one. So you and I both on the UCF train here. Um, for those of you that are going to the game, enjoy it. I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about when it was announced that uh, AR was out, how bummed they were they had tickets. I can't blame you for that one. Uh, but this will be the end, and hopefully the beginning will be after this game. All right, December 24th, the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. Right after that thriller of UCF versus Florida, we get this one. Memphis playing in Hawaii. 
Memphis favored by six and a half. You know, home game for Hawaii is nice, but I think I'll still go with Memphis here on the road. Okay. Yeah, why not? I like it. I'm going to take Hawaii here. I think they're uh, I think they're ready to defend their home turf here. You're going to come all the way to the island. You're not going to leave with a win. <laughs> How about the Tax Act Camellia Bowl? Georgia State versus Ball State, Battle of the States. Tax Act showing up again here. Yeah, Georgia State favored here by minus four point five. Man, I feel like I've been taking a lot of favorites here. I'm going to keep the train rolling. Let's go Georgia State. Okay, I'm going to take uh, Ball State. <laughs> Because I love, why not? I love Ball State. Let's go, Cardinals. Uh, quick Lane Bowl on December 27th. Western Michigan taking on Nevada. Western Michigan favored by three. Nevada going through a coaching change, so I'll go Western Michigan. Look at you with the inside info there. Bam, me as well, Western Michigan. December 27th, the Military Bowl presented by Periton, I think. Boston College favored by three over East Carolina. I'll flip it here. I'll go East Carolina. Interesting. Okay. Pirates are worthy. I'm going to go with Boston College here. The Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl. Houston versus Auburn. A tasty matchup here, some would say. Auburn favored by three. Yeah. Auburn by three. Do you like that line? I do not. Houston's played well. No Bo Nix in this game. Yeah, no Bo Nix ever again at Auburn. In the transfer portal, he's gone. RIP. I'll go Houston. Okay. I'm going to go I, – I I still believe – I think especially in a game like this, I believe in Harson's ability to prepare his football team. I mean, keep in mind that they should have beaten Alabama. It's true. So we'll see if they can take care of Houston. The Serve Pro First Responder Bowl with Air Force taking on Louisville and Louisville favored by one. I guess in this coin flip kind of scenario, I'll take Louisville. Ooh, mistake. That is a mistake. Definitely huh? Air Force. I'm all, all aboard him. Let's go. Uh, AutoZone Liberty Bowl, Mississippi State, favored by eight and a half over Texas Tech. You have to love the Mike Leach facing his own team, his old team moments here, right? Good vibes. School that fired him. Bad vibes, probably for him. No good vibes. He wants to beat him. That's like he what does. you want. You want to take him down. For sure, give me Mississippi State in this game. You know what's funny is obviously Texas Tech probably wishes they just kept Mike Leach all along, given he would have just won nine or ten games every single year there for sure i mean that's you know one of those things i'm also going to take mississippi state in this one all right we have san diego county credit union holiday bowl that's ucla facing off against nc state i don't like either of these teams but i'll go ucla i'm gonna go nc state here i mean no i meant that ucla i typed i typed my j on ucla and said nc state i'm gonna go ucla all right guaranteed rate bowl west virginia versus minnesota on december 28th Man, this is kind of a fun one. I'd probably actually watch this one. Uh, I'll go Minnesota here. Okay, I like that. Uh, it's hard to know. West Virginia has been one of those teams like we've chronicled them all yeah, year long. Up and down, up and down. And I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take West Virginia because why not? Take me home, country roads. All right, your turn, Alan. Start reading these puppies out. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, let's start off with a fun one. The Wasabi Fenway Bowl. I believe this is being played in Fenway. The Ponies of SMU. First Virginia 
It's favored by one and a half. It would be pretty confusing if it was not played in Fenway, uh, for the record. I'm going to take SMU. I'll join you here. Um, new coaches, both places. I don't know. That, that's a tough one. All right. The New Era Pinstripe Bowl, Maryland versus Virginia Tech. How are you feeling? Uh, well, you know that I don't trust Mike Loxley at all. I do know that. And I've already made my one Maryland homer pick for the year, so I'm going to take Votek. Without a coach, I'm still taking Votek. I think I'll go Maryland just for that fact alone. I love it. No, just because the Vontek yes, is Yes, I know, I know. All right. The cheese at Bowl. Here's a fun mm, one. Clemson versus Iowa State. I do love cheeses too, mm, especially mm-hmm. the extra toasty ones. Mm-hmm. Man. No, they're nice. Iowa State, favored by one. I'm going to take Clemson. I think Clemson figured things out. I think even though they're down everyone coordinator-wise, I think they can keep the ship rolling. I think they're feeling good about themselves, and I think Dabo's going to use this as a as a boosting board, if you will, into next year. I'll go just opposite of you. I have don't think to. they have enough time to clean this up. Plus, you got to go for the clones. Clones, anyway. baby. Got to do it. All right. The Valero Alamo Boat, Oregon versus Oklahoma. That's a really nice one. It's a nice matchup. I don't trust in Cristobal, but do you trust in Oklahoma's Lincoln Riley staff more? And the mm-hmm. answer is I do. I'm taking Oklahoma. I'll take Oklahoma as well. All right. The Duke's Mayo Bowl. Mm, great one. Just I'll eat a pound of mayonnaise in celebration here. <laughs> North Carolina versus South Carolina. North Carolina favored by seven. Man, you can't trust Mac Brown, and the Shane Beamer story has been amazing. So give me give me South Kakalaka here, despite getting beat like a drum <laughs> by Clemson. This is I a mean, bad pick objectively, but I'm doing it. He, I think is Sam Howell playing this game? Question mark. I don't know. Who knows? Not me. I, I haven't heard that he isn't. So I'll go North Carolina here. Okay. Trans Perfect Music City Bowl. Mm-hmm. Tennessee favored by three and a half versus a very frisky Purdue team. Is there ever a doubt who I'm picking here? No. Go Vols. Yeah. I, I mean, Hinden Hooker said he's staying at Tennessee. It's enough for me right now. Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Michigan State favored by one and a half versus Pittsburgh. I'm glad that the fighting Chester Kimbrells get a chance to eat a ton of delicious Chick-fil-A and get to be played in a prominent bowl. Pittsburgh is a game opponent, obviously, mm-hmm. one of the best quarterback prospects there. I think Michigan State's going to get this one done, though. This Pittsburgh is a team that will give them problems, but I just feel like they're not a team at the at the Ohio State level, obviously for sure, that are going to give them those kind of problems. So with that, I take Michigan State. Again, it comes down to the quarterback for me a little bit. If Kenny Pickett is playing this game, I'm going to take Pittsburgh. Oh, if Kenny Pickett's not playing, then just back the truck up sure. to Michigan State. SRS distribution, mm, exciting. Is that your favorite of the distributions? Uh, I, I guess. <laughs> the- Otherwise known as the Las Vegas Bowl, Wisconsin favored by seven against Arizona State. Arizona State, I think, is getting slept on here in the public. Uh, Wisconsin had a like a potential rise to their year, and then they fell back down to earth at the end. But can you really ever confidently bet Pac-12 teams no. in bowl games? You cannot. So I will take Wisconsin, a team that I think loves bowl games. Same. I, I do not like either of these teams. I would not bet it. All right, the Tax Layer Gator Bowl, Wake Forest, the Demon Deeks versus the Aggies of AM, who are favored by seven and a half. I mean, no Zach Calzada, who who entered the transfer portal, had one glorious moment and then is gone. I mean, he knew he was never oh, sure. going to play there again. So good for him. <sighs> Wake Forest really should have no chance of staying within seven and a half of AM because of the talent difference here. But I have to pick Wake Forest. I've been riding them all year long, and I'm not about to stop right now. So Wake Forest. Yeah, Deeks, especially, you know, Mike 
Elko leaving. Yeah. Could be a little bit of disarray there. Could be. Could be. Either way, I love the Wake Forest story. I'm going to finish on it. Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Washington State versus Miami. Miami favored by two and a half. Man, Tony the Tiger. Frosted Flakes. It's good. I loved it as a kid. Still love it now. Uh, what to do here? What to do here? The Washington State story is surreal. Very weird. And I'm going to pick that story just because why the heck not? I'll join you here. I I don't know what to make of these. There's so many coaching changes at prominent places, right? So many. All right. Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl, Central Michigan versus Boise State, who's favored by seven and a half. Good for Barstool to get themselves into They're the showing this sponsorship bowl, right? game. They I think you might be it. only able to watch this on Barstool. On Barstool. I mean, those guys are marketing geniuses. I'm going to take Boise State. Same. Why not? Okay, then we're going to get to the first of the semifinal games here, played on the 31st. Still stuck in this where some of these years it falls on New Year's Eve, which is terrible. They kind no, of fixed no it. No reason for this. Well, they the kind way. of fixed it, and I think they got hemmed in. Still, the Rose Bowl is still the problem. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox here. <laughs> the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, number four Cincinnati versus number one Alabama, who is favored by 13 and a half. Does that line seem low to you? It does indeed. 13 and a half. Look, this is a tremendous. For those of you that, that and this is what I want to say, I have loved the teams like Cincinnati for a long time because the general public significantly undervalues them in general. It's almost like Bama is going to be a 50-point favorite, like in people's minds, which is ludicrous. Like, yes, Bama is the better football team. But look, 13 and a half, that's not a big line. That's tremendous respect to Cincinnati and the fact that the Vegas odds makers think Cincinnati can slow Bama's offense down given how they play defense. That being said, when Nick Saban has a month to prepare for you, things Mm. generally end up very badly. So I'm going to take Alabama. I think historically this line would be interesting because of how Alabama has treated the other opponents in these semifinal games. And I don't think Cincinnati is profile-wise – Better now defensively, Alabama is not throwing on ourselves, but I don't think that Cincinnati could take advantage of that. Unless I'm missing something, this feels very obvious a Bammer pick. It does, but we could be missing yeah. something, which is why I'm excited about the game. I'd love for Cincinnati to win; it'd be fun. All right, the next in my final, the Capital One Orange Bowl, number three Georgia, favored by eight against the number two Michigan Wolverines. This line is shocking to me. There is a huge talent difference between Georgia and Michigan not on the offensive side of the ball but that's because Georgia is routinely playing you know unheralded three stars walk-ons but man Michigan has to run the football and you cannot run the football on Georgia I just don't think they're going to get to line up in their two tight end 12 personnel and run the football at Georgia and if they can't how does Michigan score and you can score on Michigan their defense is fine I, I think eight points is great line here I'm taking Georgia same for everything you said. This is a Styles makes fight kind of thing. I would actually rather see Michigan play Alabama. Yeah. For their too. own success, right? Me too. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And so that was a little bit of the wonkiness of the way this seeding fell is that you're probably going to get an all SEC rematch, right? The nation would not be happy about that, but that looks like where we're potentially heading, at least if you and I are correct. All right. So we have Bama and Georgia moving on. All right, side unseen. We'll probably get a chance to pick this game, but who do you like? Do you like Bama in the rematch? 
this is this is not fair because I want to say that we should. I need to see the semifinals for sure. For sure, I, and I need we'll, to know who's playing. We're gonna repick it, but and whatnot. So right now, I'm going to assume that I'm gonna make my one assumption. If Kirby Smart sticks with Stetson Bennett, I'm not picking Georgia. Same. That's the bottom line. If he doesn't, I'll flip to Georgia. That's it for me. That's the litmus test. But I do expect a rematch of Bama versus Georgia, and I think it literally hinges on the quarterback play. All right, flipping over to New Year's Day, Outback Bowl, Penn State favored by one and a half against Arkansas. Give me Arkansas. Yeah, call them hogs. I'm ready. All right, the Verbo, VRBO, Citrus Bowl, Iowa versus Kentucky. Give me Iowa. What an uninspiring match. Kentucky favored by three. I mean, uninspiring as Pump Kimble. Fest. Gross. So you took Iowa? I took Iowa. <laughs> I mean, I guess this is like, you know, who's going to out caveman ball the other one? I'll go Iowa as well. I would not be surprised if Kentucky won that game. Though. No, that's that's a coin flippy. Terrible. Nobody wants to watch that game on New Year's Day. <laughs> Just a bunch of sickos watching that game. All right. The PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, Notre Dame. Favored by two and a half versus Oklahoma State. As if I'm not going to pick Mike Gundy, who caught some caught some rumor mill action here uh. in Florida. Apparently his agent sent a message to Strickland. We can't know if that's true or not. It wouldn't surprise me if it was true, though, by the way, about yeah. Gundy wanting to potentially leave. Some, ga- some gaudy stats about Gundy. And obviously I love Mike Gundy. I've talked about it every year. The guy's success rate at Oklahoma State is really, really underappreciated. And Notre Dame now with Marcus Freeman, who wants to make a splashy debut mm. as a great D coordinator, I think he gets spoiled by Oklahoma State. This is a really interesting game for that because unlike a lot of these other teams who just fired their coach, they've got the internal guy who is very motivated. Extremely. I mean, he's like become a superstar already. I'm tempted to pick Notre Dame here, but I, I do like Oklahoma State. I'll go there. You know what? I'm going to stop that. Reverse course. Give me Notre Dame. Okay. You I think them. Oklahoma will State will be in this game, but I think they're still wounded from that previous game. Yeah, that hurt them bad. All right. We'll see if I regret that. It's a good carrot for them, though. This yeah. Notre Dame game yeah. is one of those games you, your players can get up for because of the hype that's surrounding Freeman. Right. If it was Iowa, I think. Oh, boy. I, yeah, okay. They're probably not up for it. Yeah. All right. The Rose Bowl. I hate it on them, but it is a beautiful game. Presented by Capital One Venture X. Ohio State by six and a half versus Utah. There's no chance I am betting against Utah on anything right now. Let's go. And the talent mismatch is significant, but I don't care. I'm taking Utah. Yeah, they are hyped for this game. This is their first Rose Ball. They're playing Ohio State. I love it. I love it. Go Utes. All right. The All-State Sugar Bowl, Ole Miss favored by one versus Baylor. This is a great matchup, yeah. too. I mean, this is great. Credit to Lane Kiffin for getting Old Miss here. Baylor. I mean, this is this is an SEC. This is it right here. This is LSU Alabama, right? Both of these guys are very familiar with each other. And I think because of that, I'm going to give Baylor the nod here. This is a fun one. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. I like this matchup a lot. Both teams seem motivated to come in and play this game well. I, th- I think I'll take Baylor. I like it though. Okay. Just kind of a weird extra one here. Tax Act shows up again on January 4th. Tax Third Act, time. Texas Bowl. Mm-hmm. LSU versus Kansas State. What a weird game. 
I mean, what a weird game is right. K-State fair by one. I mean, how, how does this bowl become the last one, and what is going on? Well, there's the the championship is on the 10th, so it's just this one little I, weird I know. one. It's just, a, over. It's, just a, it's three days later. It's it's bizarre. LSU this is game's inspiring. Des- this game should be on, like, December 20th or something. Yeah, and LSU's, obviously, their, their quarterbacks entered the transfer portal. Max Johnson, he's not there anymore, so... Does that mean something? Probably. LSU's unpredictable, but I'm going to take Kansas State. Same. It feels like a much safer pick there. All right, and then on the 10th, the national championship will assumingly – assumingly is not a word. I'm assuming that we're going to be back on the mics. Yeah, we'll, that. we'll hit the real prediction there. For now, we kind of gave you what we had to do in case there was nothing that happened in the next month, which is highly unlikely. All right, are you planning on doing a breakdown of – yeah, up, upcoming. So future episode could be next week. It will be soon. I'll do a film breakdown and a full, just like I did in the offense breakdown of, uh, we're going to call it Tony's defense right now. He's going to have a co-coordinator at some point in time. We'll name that. But it looks like Tony's going to be the play caller. I've had a bunch of you send me videos on his coaching clinics and things he said and done. Um, and it, obviously, he's a great communicator. But mainly, I love, and we talked about this, it's a very tactical-oriented defense. Billy Napier's very tactical. They're multiple. They're tactical. That means they're playing in situations. I like that. It's my kind of football. I'm obviously biased towards that. Uh, and I will break down what they've done at Louisiana a little bit later. So look forward to that. Any other items of interest for you here? Yeah, let's talk about Gator basketball just for a second. So for those of you that potentially thought that this was a new era for Mike White, the data so far looks like maybe it's not. So obviously, Alan, a lot of season left, but we did famously, you guys asked me again, would I still be firing Mike White? And I said, yes, of course I would be. I didn't expect the coaching to change. This team is, is as we said yesterday, this team is a lot more enjoyable to watch because they really give everything they have. And outside of Appleby, who's mind-numbingly frustrating with how often he turns the ball over, the team generally plays somewhat sensible basketball, but they're just not great. They're kind of where they should be, um, which is what Justin said. They're going to be between the 20th and 35th best team in basketball. And Maybe we get hot. Maybe we figure stuff out. Uh, but obviously, losing to my family's alma mater, Maryland, that was just in a in uninspiring, a uninspiring, listless game. Dropping that Texas Southern game we talked about. Um, things don't look good anymore for this team, given how they did look. And you're entering SEC play here soon, so we'll see what happens with this team. But it's it's hard right now to find a narrative that would indicate that they would be like consistently anywhere good. But basketball seasons are really long. Uh, but, you know, Florida's going to have to figure out, Allen how to shoot the basketball. That's the right. major Achilles heel is they do get better looks than previous Mike White teams are getting, but they just cannot shoot from the three-point line. They're taking 25 threes a game. They make five of them. Can't win that way. Yeah, they're going to have to make some changes for sure. The intriguing thing for me is the guys they generally have on the floor, Jones, Fleming, and McKissick, I think could all be plus kind of ball handlers, movers of the ball the ball doesn't seem to stick too much which i like there is some way forward i just don't have a lot of confidence that mike white is going to help them figure it out so if they can figure it out on their own i think they could there's a higher level there for them to get to because i do like the way they defend for the most part um you know i didn't watch the texas southern game and i'm glad it didn't because it sounded miserable to watch so, yeah, just some weird data points. You know, losing to Oklahoma is fine, whatever. There wasn't a bad loss. These last two are very questionable. You know, Texas Southerners presumably not good, and Maryland is not untalented, but 
they just lost their coach like two days ago, you know, so not a good look right now. I'm less hopeful than I was at the beginning of the season when I was kind of riding high a little bit and just looking at the optimistic upside there, but I haven't totally checked out on the team or anything like that. I, I still think there's a lot to like about him. Yeah. And we will see, we will follow this as uh, the season goes on. That's all I had, Alan. Anything else from you? Let's close it out. We might be back next week if there's some stuff to talk about. Um, We'll let you know. Hope you guys enjoy the next couple weeks. And thanks for listening, as always. See you later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.